I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Fashion Unzipped, the now not so new podcast from the Telegraph's fashion team. I'm Bethan Holt, Fashion News and Features Director. We have made it through snow, delayed trains and the perils of Milan Fashion Week to bring you today's episode. Joining me in this lovely toasty studio today are our beauty director, Sonia Harrier. Hello. Emily Cronin, our senior fashion editor. Hi. And Caroline Leeper, our fashion editor. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about everything that happened in Milan. There's a lot to talk about. We've just been having an extensive discussion before we started recording. Um, And we're also going to be bringing you the latest news on the Met Gala and the new Met costume exhibition, which is now not so far away. First of all, the latest viral fashion moment, courtesy of the Kardashians, is Kim's new pink hair, which was unveiled when she was out and about last weekend. She took to her personal app yesterday to explain why she's decided to dye her hair pink at the age of 37. She said... Ever since I did the CR fashion book shoot and wore a pink wig, I thought it would be fun to dye my hair pink. My hairstylist Chris Appleton and I thought about it for a month and then decided to just go for it. Since my hair is blonde right now, it was easy to put the pink colour over it and I figured what perfect timing. North absolutely loves it. She was so excited when she woke up to see I had pink hair and Kanye loves it too. He thinks it's fun to mix things up. So I'm very glad that we've got Sonia here today. Oh. Sonia, what's the beauty verdict on Kim's pink hair? Am I allowed to bitch? Absolutely. Am I allowed to say the word Feel bitch? free. Yeah, fine. Um, I'm not a big fan. It's, I mean, I obviously Kim was going to dye her hair pink at some stage. It's all the rage and, you know, lots of colourists are having dozens of requests to turn blonde hair in particular pink and I think pink's a great colour I just feel like Kim's shade of pink is slightly off um Emily you were saying describing it as like candy floss pink like it's like straight from the fun fair isn't it my little pony pink yeah it's not a cool glossier millennial pink it's sort of a bit brash and also the dark roots Mm, yeah, what's like with the dark with the dark roots? The root, I don't know. The root to dye job ratio is all wrong. I mean, it's just quite a high contrast, isn't it? I really like her hairstylist that did the colour, but I just feel like she's not the right fit for, for the pink. 
It looked like she just got bored and decided to like dip dye her hair in Kool Aid without. You know, really thinking through what it would take to make yeah. it look great. And this I don't a month, even a month-long strategy decision, I according, according and to Kim. And the thing is, I know? don't even think it's something for millennials. And I don't think you have to be in your twenties. It's not an age thing at all. Mary Greenwell, the brilliant makeup artist, dyed her hair pink last year, and she, when she was fifty-nine, I think it was, um, and she looked amazing with it because it was the right tone of pink. It was just very flattering for her skin tone. I just don't feel like it works for Kim. What's this kind of obsession with pink hair? Because even in the office here at the Telegraph, there's people who've suddenly come in one day and, you know, until then they've had perfectly lovely blonde bob and then they come in with pink hair. It does seem to be a kind of phenomenon where women just kind of have a moment in their life where they're like, right, now is the time for me to dye my hair pink. And I think we're seeing that in salons. I mean, I think there's been something like a 40% rise in the last year of people requesting pink hair. But I think it's slightly to do with the whole millennial pink vibe that's been sort of so prominent in the last two years that it's become such a colour that you know has sort of captured a bit of a generation you know more so than a a soft lilac but lots of hairdressers are talking about any pastel shades just really working well to kind of highlight the skin tone like it just seems to be just a really good flattering hair colour for a lot of skin tones which is great. Sonia would you ever do it? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I just, I, I don't think I'd be. I think if I had blonde hair to begin with, I would because it washes out in five or six washes, and it's quite a temporary thing. And I think that's what's really nice about it. You can sort of dip into the trend, and a month later you're blonde again, and that's fine. But because I've got black, naturally black hair, it's, it would be, it would be quite a commitment. And has yeah. anyone else in the room ever? done a crazy dye job Emily has just stuck her hand in the air (laughs) I did I mean you wouldn't believe it to look at me now but um, in I think 2012 I went to Bleach and Dalston we did a I was working at Elle at the time and we did a video series with them on crazy stuff you can do to your hair and I went for um, like the bottom four inches of my hair done lilac and let me tell you it took five hours and about three different did you have it bleached first they had to bleach it back and the girl like kept checking to see if my hair was going to break off. She yeah. was amazed that it was this robust. And then they did it lilac. And then two days later, it was gone. Oh. It was like it was washed out. It's so disappointing because you pay like for a color change like that. It would probably cost in the region of 100 to 200 pounds if you're going to somewhere reputable. But that's the thing. If it doesn't sort of catch to the to the hair that well um I think I think darker colors come and gone yeah. last longer and are better but but yeah you've got to be prepared to just have it be a really ephemeral thing if you ever want to did your hair snap off after the bleach no it actually looked really kind of sun-kissed and nice and I thought I was going to chop it off and so it was kind of a low commitment um experiment on my part but I ended up keeping it for ages because it just looked like just looked like evidence of summer on a beach yeah I bet Kim's will look good on social media, though. I bet she'll put a filter on that later. Most of the Telegraph fashion team has been in Milan over the past week or so for the third of the big international fashion weeks, and things really feel like they're in full swing now. Emily, you were in town. What did you love, apart from the pasta? Definitely the pasta. I mean, that was thing one on the list of things that I loved. But this was, this was my first season doing Milan, and... Um, and I was really surprised how much I enjoyed it because, you know, I do think 
fashion editors can get a little bit moany, and by the time you get to Milan, people are tired, and I just loved it. I mean, everything is bigger in Milan. The venues, the crowds, the shoes, the hair, the parties. The eyelashes. Oh my God, the eyelashes, <laughs> absolutely. You just don't get shows like this at, at London Fashion Week where you go in and there are a thousand people and, you know, there's kind of like a four-pronged runway. It was it was a completely different scene. Um, and I'm really grateful that I got to go and, and see some of it. So I was there for the second half of the week, which means um, that Charlie, who's on her way to Paris right now, was there for Gucci and, you know, we were both there for Versace and kind of watched it from our hotel rooms. Um, my favorite show, I think, was actually the last show that I saw in Milan, and that was Dolce & Gabbana. So am I right in thinking that they had done their version of heaven, basically? Or church? or I mean, it was, <laughs> there was a, first of all, the setting was there was this huge theater, and you walked in, and they had kind of, you know, a very campy, obviously, mock-up of, um, of kind of, molded cathedral gates and and on top there was some kind of inscription about divine fashion and the the pre-show soundtrack which we got to hear for quite some time because there was a 45 minute delay was ecclesiastical chanting and it was a really surreal backdrop um, against which to watch these women you know this is at two o'clock in the afternoon by the way so watch women in tulle ball gowns with custom you know, jeweled and, and metallic floral headdresses on, playing with their three-year-old daughters in matching clothes. And by the end of the wait, any time that there was a pause in the chanting, everyone in the crowd, there, there was like there would be this collective intake of breath. And then when it started again, we would all groan. But it was all worth it in the end when the gates to heaven or to backstage or whatever you want to think of it as opened and out came not models, but drones. <gasps> Amazing. It was a drone fashion show. There no. were drones carrying handbags. Okay. And, and what what do we think was the messaging? Because obviously that's kind of very different to this beautiful basilica atmosphere that you're evoking there. And then you just throw in a modern day drone. Just I think the message was, please buy a Dolce & Gabbana handbag now. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was, it was, handbags it was are king. Definitely not. They'll fly to your front door. Yeah, right? <laughs> The drones flew down the middle of the runway and they all hovered and, and really people were incredulous that this was actually something new that no one had ever seen before. And the drones did little choreographed turns so that you could see every angle of the handbags. Fine. The drones went away. There was a fashion show. There were high points. There were low points. There was some really big hair. That's very interesting what you say as well about people being incredulous and like something you've never seen before because something I kind of find is that you know when you're going to a fashion show every hour on the hour for several days at a time you know you can kind of become a bit blasé about it no matter how gorgeous the clothes are or how beautiful the setting and I always feel so guilty because I think oh gosh today I went to this museum and that architectural institute and this garden and you just become become quite used to it but the idea of something that you haven't seen before is is actually quite novel, even though it's fashion. This actually came up a lot. Um, on Saturday night, I went to Anna Della Russo's auction. Uh, she, she was doing an auction of part of her wardrobe with Christie's, and the format of the auction was basically like a drag show, uh, where all of the models, only some of whom were drag queens, were wearing the lots and were kind of parading up and down, you know, kind of... Um, 
vamping for the cameras and for the crowd and trying to raise the bids. And I went to the back of the auction to to get a drink and saw a friend of mine who was working for the PR team. And she kind of smiled at me and she's like, remember when you wished for what you have now, huh? (laughs) (laughs) It was was a good reminder that, um, you know, what we what we think of as, as work is really some people's wildest dreams. And another one of the shows that I personally found really interesting was Prada. Um, obviously, Mutia Prada, the, the creative director, has become so good at kind of encapsulating the zeitgeist in her in her own way and really saying something about a cultural moment. And I suppose, in a way, we were all waiting to see what her comment on the Me Too theme, which I feel is really overshadowing not only this Fashion Week, but culture generally at the moment what her comment would be and she did these huge cozy padded coats and there were these flashes of neon Caroline what did you think about her talking about reclaiming the night I think it's a really interesting statement and I think throughout fashion month so far we've had a few different designers give a bit of a bit of a point of view on on this and you know they've all kind of articulated it in some different ways I mean we saw Christopher Kane in London Fashion Week his statement was very it was all about the joy of sex it was all about reclaiming kind of sexy clothing and and making it no longer a taboo subject reminding people to enjoy it so from her perspective to be you know looking at the reclaiming the night in in that way as well it was another different take it was it was interesting to see I think in a way, I was surprised that more designers didn't address this more more head on, especially in Italy, where you know sex appeal is so often what's driving what's driving the runway. But Prada, you know, she did say backstage, she said, "My dream is for women to be able to go out in the street and not be afraid." I mean, it, it's not the biggest dream, but it does seem like a dream. Um, I, I have to say, with her show, it was I was surprised how much synthetic fabric she used. You know, she had these kind of molded, pleather, almost armored-looking corset bustiers. I don't really know what to call them. And and as you mentioned, she had... You get the picture. You get the picture. <laughs> you can look at the pictures. She had these huge, like, neoprene-type coats. So it was, it was very much about putting a layer, maybe a protective layer, between yourself and the world. Another show that I think maybe didn't make so many headlines, but which I thought was one of the most impressive takeaways of the of the whole fashion week was Paul Andrews' debut at Salvatore Ferragamo. Now, this is a house that didn't really, for a long time, have much of a design identity. And Paul Andrew, the British shoe designer, came in about a year ago, well, actually in September 2016, as design director for its women's footwear, which is a role that had never existed before at the house. And he did so well that after about a year in that position, the leadership, i.e. the Ferragamo family, asked him to expand his remit to include women's wear. And his show was gorgeous. I mean, the colors just made you want to go into a paint store or throw away all your navy and all your beige. And it was really the one show, I think, that we went to and, and people left murmuring, oh, gee, I'd really like to wear that today. I love that idea. I think you wrote it in your review, Emily, of a fashion show where you can immediately just think, I could just go backstage, pick an outfit out and walk out of here, you know. I mean, if only. (laughs) It doesn't happen very often, surprisingly, (laughs) you would think. (laughs) He also said when we spoke after the show, um, he said two things that I just loved. He said, number one, comfort is key to all of his designs. So all of the really like glam, high gloss, 
metallic heeled boots have basically trainer technology, sneaker technology on the inside. I mean, they should when they're that expensive, right? Yeah, you want comfort. And he also said that at Ferragamo, there's a there's an internal rule that you never use the same color name twice. And as the house has been around for 90 years, you have to get creative. So there was one look that was all green. And he said, you know, the coat is juniper, the dress is parakeet, and the boots are army green. It's not just green. (laughs) Sonia, so we've fashion month, as I was saying, is in complete full swing. There's a lot of beauty on the catwalks always. We kind of obviously we always talk about the clothes and that is obviously very important but there's lots of beauty takeaways as well what what have you been enjoying this season always for for autumn winter quite refreshingly so because spring summer is always about skin and very sort of no makeup makeup that classic um it feels like this season actually for autumn winter was very much about skin there's a lot of kind of very natural beautiful skin it may have taken 10 or 20 products to create that kind of nothing makeup but there was a lot of that and there was a lot increasingly so every season it seems like more so than just having hair by so and so makeup by so and so it's now a new category of skin so you know there'll be a skin expert backstage who will really kind of whether it's a two-minute face massage to kind of get the model's skin ready for the for the beauty and for the makeup look, or it's a great sheet mask that everyone's using backstage, there definitely seems to be a real focus now, more so than ever before, on getting the skin in the best condition. So what are the products that they use backstage to create that perfect, rosy, healthy look? Do we know any of them? Yeah. I mean, unsurprisingly, it was all Dolce & Gabbana makeup, um, but, it, you know, in essentially it was a really lovely liquid matte foundation. I think liquid's the key here because to get that real, like, polished look on the skin, you need to use a liquid. And it's about having that workability. So, you know, when you put it on the skin, you've got some playtime. You've got a couple of minutes to really massage it into the skin. And that's the way to really make it look like second skin rather than looking like you've got a foundation on. So they used... A really lovely liquid foundation and then a luminous concealer. I mean, even a sort of touche clair or something really beautiful just to take away the shadows. I mean, I spoke to the great makeup artist Patty DeBroff um, last week who did Margot Robbie's makeup for the BAFTAs. And she was saying to apply concealer like an eye cream, which I found so interesting. So I'm used to sort of painting on my concealer to sort of paint away my under eye shadows but she was like just use the tiniest amount put it in the areas that you've really got that shadow or that darkness which tends to be the sort of inner corners of the eye or slightly on the outer corners like you would an eye cream so very lightly and with a really nice light touch and actually I have to say it makes the biggest difference that you know using half the amount of product you would use but really massaging it into the skin Um, and actually what the product that was used for the, the Dolce blush was a really lovely rose creamy blush from the Dolce collection, which is just beautiful. I mean, I think the best way to apply blush really is just to smile, apply it to the chubbiest part of your cheek, and that's it. And that seems to be what, what's been done backstage here. 
so easy. It's kind of three products and it's your best skin ever, really. I could do that at home. You could do that at home, Caroline, and easily. You look just like a Dolce girl, too. Yeah. Well, Add a bit of a cat eye and you're done. And big hair. There bit was really big hair, which I was, yeah. I was cheering for. Although, interestingly, four years ago when I got married, I um, did give uh, such a beauty editor thing to do. I gave the makeup artist a reference of spring, summer 14, Dolce & Gabbana backstage makeup. And I was like, make me look like that. Um I didn't, probably, but it was that just kind of beautiful, really nice. Actually, it's a really great wedding makeup look, the Dolce backstage look. Um, And obviously, we can't talk about Milan Fashion Week without talking about Gucci and the dragon puppies and the carrying the head under your arms, which has become an instant meme. What's our take on on Gucci, Caroline? Are they the, the season's new It Accessories? Is it the Halloween costume that everyone's going to want this October? It's so difficult to tell how <laughs> what to take away from this, isn't it? But it was, it, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, what they did. no makeup looks. No makeup no. looks to take away for real life. <laughs> what they did, they went all out with the prosthetics. They must have been working for months and months to produce these incredible model heads, which were identical to the actual model's head for them to carry under the arm. I mean, wow. Clothes as well. (laughs) Um, I mean, of course, Alessandro Michele has become a complete master of the eclectic wardrobe now. That's kind of almost a given. But I do wonder if we're all going to be able to have our own Gucci head accessory crafted and you put things into it is it is it yeah. like a handbag like a handbag yeah wouldn't that be great i mean i do think pets were one of the major takeaways of milan fashion week yes there was Gigi hadid as well that's Harry right at todd's right so every model at todd's i mean aside from the heads and the and the baby dragons at gucci which you know had me wishing it was game of thrones time again uh every model at todd's did carry a puppy so Gigi hadid had a french bulldog and oh, they were so cute and then, actually, at Dolce & Gabbana, one of the models was carrying, like, a plush zebra toy. I don't know if maybe Stefano and Domenico saw the Todd show and thought, oh, we need some of that. <laughs> and they couldn't get a zebra, a real zebra, in time. They did have a model in a zebra-style coat with, like, a zebra hood. It was a little ridiculous. Sign me up for a, for a pet. Very autumn-winter 18, but hold the zebra <laughs> coat. You can read our Milan Fashion Week roundup in today's paper and at telegraph.co.uk forward slash fashion. And just a reminder that we gather all the stories we discuss every week in a news story on the site. So visit the site if you want to find out more about anything we've discussed. And please do email us. We're on unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. So also at the end of this Milan Fashion Week, the fashion press made a visit. I'm not sure if we can call it a pilgrimage or if that would be sacrilegious, but they went to Rome uh, and they were there to visit the Palazzo Colonna, which is a former papal residence, which sounds really off schedule, sounds a bit of an odd venue for a fashion show, but it wasn't. It was all in aid of the Met Gala, which isn't even on until May, but They were there to see some of the artefacts and pieces uh, that have been set aside by the Vatican that will be able to go into heavenly bodies. So we had Anna Wintour, editor of Vogue, and Donatella Versace leading the group. And they went off and they met with the Vatican culture minister to look at some of the items. So they've got 40 pieces and it was robes, it was bishop's hats, and it's all going to be 
in the Met Gala alongside Versace and Dolce & Gabbana. I mean, obviously, the Met Gala is fashion's biggest night out of the year. It's the equivalent of the Oscars. It happens on the first Monday in May. Anna Winter is the high priestess of the whole the whole event and creates this brilliant moment, which obviously kicks off the annual fashion exhibition at what is now called the Anna Winter Costume Institute at the Met Museum. It's going to be completely epic and beautiful and incredible, isn't it? I have to say I loved the picture of, of Anna Wintour, Donatella Versace and Cardinal Gianfranco Ravasi. Um, it almost was a contender to, to go with the picture of the Queen with Anna Wintour last week. You know, Anna Wintour's really getting some great photo opportunities at the moment. Actually, B. Schaefer, Anna Wintour's daughter, Instagrammed that picture of her mum oh, yeah. and the caption said... Well, you're having quite a week. (laughs) I mean, isn't she just? And this exhibition is going to be a huge talking... I mean, it's already a huge talking point. It's a conversation starter. And everything that they seem to be collecting to go in it along the way has its own story and another conversation going on there. So, I mean, yeah, we're going to see things like Pope Benedict's robe next to Coco Chanel's early work because she was taught by nuns and it's such a mishmash of different cultures and different iconography it's going to be a spectacle it's where we've seen in the past the um, Alexander McQueen exhibition um, fashion and technology exhibition they really seem to kind of tap into of the moment topics within the fashion industry but I am quite fascinated by the decision this year to look at the relationship between religion and fashion. How do you think it will play out Emily? First of all it can't be a coincidence that Dolce & Gabbana did such a such a high church themed collection. It really seems like they're campaigning to be the go-to designers for anyone who's attending the Met Gala 2018. Second, also can't be a coincidence that right before the show, Dolce & Gabbana Instagrammed a picture of themselves as extras in the film Nine. Oh, I loved that picture. That was genius. I hadn't seen that before. They were priests in full black habits with, um, are they called habits when it's for men? I don't know. I'm Jewish. Um, and, you know, the little white... Dog's collar. Dog's collar, which, again, who knows if that's what they're really called. Send it on a postcard if you know the name. I have to wonder, you know, as much as I'm very up for controversy and hope that there's a lot of conversation around this. I really wonder if it was appropriate for the Vatican to loan items to be displayed in such a context. I mean, is nothing sacred, guys? I think there's a lot of ostentation. I mean, I don't know if any of us here are Catholic, so I don't know if we can actually actually talk about this with any level of expertise but I I lived in Rome for two years as a child so I have been dragged around my fair share of Catholic churches I have to say and there's a real respect and love of the ornate and and ceremonial items you know whether it's incredible clouds of incense filling basilicas or whether it's you know these absolutely beautiful jewel coloured robes that the priests wear. There is a real respect and and love and history of that. I think maybe it's slightly different with with the current Pope who's trying to kind of pare everything back and be a little bit more 
Modest. Yes, modest is the word. Well, it, it will be educational, as in, yeah, I mean, look at us Look at us here now. We're not quite sure of what to call a habit, what to call a, you know. But dress, dress code is a huge part of religion and always has been. Uh, and as you say, craft and, and needlework and various techniques have come up and developed through that. Um, but it's a two-way street as well. I mean, there'll be designers who have been inspired by religious iconography and have translated that into pop culture, that's going to play a huge part of this as well. So it is the first time I think I've ever heard of somebody looking at it as a whole, you know, as a whole subject and a whole body, making a body of work with with all of this information in one place. I wonder if they have conditions imposed on uh, on what certain pieces from the Vatican can and cannot be juxtaposed next to. Like I can imagine them saying, None of that Madonna, you know, <laughs> like a prayer bras. stuff. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> um, because really, of course, it's it, it's not just about religion. It's about the Met Show will be about transgression as well. I mean, are we going to see Rihanna in kind of her take on papal robes, do you think, on the red carpet? I think that's where it's going to get messy, isn't it? When, when we've got <laughs> When we've got Kim Kardashian turning up in Mother of Christ attire... Yeah, it's a tricky. That's a, a tricky, tricky line. Uh, tricky Kanye as a nun. Mm. Oh gosh, Kanye. And the children as cherubs. <laughs> well, we've got saint already, so yeah. You heard it here first. Please tell us what you think by emailing us at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. We're really keen to see your responses to the stories that we cover on the podcast, and we're hoping to introduce an Ask Unzipped feature. So also send your fashion questions our way. And if you haven't already done this, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're nearly all off to concentrate on Paris Fashion Week. Um, But before we go, uh, Sonia, what's something that you're excited about this week? In my eternal pursuit for Michelle Obama arms, I've just taken up boxing at Cobox. And um, I've got my second sort of lesson at the end of the week. I'm loving it. I'm just sort of all geared towards boxing I feel like I've kind of finally found my exercise I've never been one to um sort of have a a very strict gym routine but just the sort of once or twice a week boxing class seems to be the thing for me. Speaking of Michelle Obama she has revealed her new book hasn't she which is going to be out in November which I think the world is very excited about I can't wait to read that so I can I say I'm already Obama. looking forward to that even though it's like six months away absolutely <laughs> I'm looking forward to her book tour because that'll mean more outfits for us to talk about oh, we can revive oh, our miss, Michelle Obama I gallery I miss Michelle Obama we all miss Michelle Obama oh. um, well just before we came in to record this podcast I got an email from the Regent's Park open air theater marketing team thanks guys letting me know that part of their programming for this summer is the return of the Luna pop-up cinema. And one of the films that they'll be showing at the open-air theatre is Spice World. Spice up your lie. That's right. So if you're a fan... Which, can we just say, Emily has seen seven times? I don't remember. I was... (laughs) Like, I watched it when I was recovering from a tonsillectomy when I was 12. And I feel like I've seen it many times, but I still don't know what happens in it. So I will be there at one of the showings this summer. Seen it many times, but can't remember the plot. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about really, right. The only the only scene I can remember is Richard E. Grant driving the bus and them all kind of running riot on the bus and apart from that yeah. 
What about, should I wear a little black Gucci dress, a little black Gucci dress, oh, yeah. or a little black Gucci dress? <laughs> oh. Those are mortal words. Okay, well, I think we need a team outing. Yeah, I'd love to just, just you almost want to see it with your adult head on again. Be like, what were they thinking? I mean, the, also, the, what, the style and beauty choices are quite what questionable, What were we aren't thinking? Because we were hypnotised by it yeah. at some point, clearly. I was definitely channeling the look, getting the baby bunches. Yeah, I had a Spice Girls watch at one point, which was my key accessory for, for my early teens. That would probably be <laughs> highly coveted on eBay. Yeah, yeah, I think I threw it out. Yeah. <laughs> and Caroline, how about you? I'm excited to go to Paris. So yeah. I'm going on Thursday and then um, I'll be there until the weekend. I think there's uh, some good shows on. It'll be good. I think there'll be some pastries. I think there'll be some wine and cheese at some point, maybe, if we've got a little pause in the evening. Well, we look forward to hearing your take on Paris next week. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and check back next week for another episode of Fashion Unzipped.